Well, you know what they say, April showers. Yes, they do. And I'll finish that next month. Yep. (laughs) Well done. Welcome in, everybody, to Totem Talk's year in review, the year 1967. That's right. Yep. And And the month is April. The month is, in fact, April. I don't know if you got that from my pinpoint accurate description, but... Mm We are. We're rolling. We're rolling. We're having some we fun are. with it. Um, this is, you know, arguably my favorite segment because I just get to sit here and listen. You don't have to do anything. I get to sit here and ooh and ah and react. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what you get to do. And I'm hoping that you have a lot to, to react to today. Um, that depends on you, my friend. I Yeah, I know. I know. So I'm going to be very upfront with you about April. Now, we've had a pretty packed first quarter uh, in terms of the amount of music news that happens in the year 1967. Sure, sure. And I know for a fact we have many, many more months full of just like very densely packed with events and things going on in the musical world. April, I think, is probably the month with the least amount of stuff going on. Okay. So I just want to forewarn you. Now, however... Uh, one thing that we've kind of mentioned several times throughout the series already that is like inextricably linked uh, to mu- the music scene is, of course, like the cultural scene and the counterculture. Uh, and I feel like right. that is like at its zenith in the year 1967 uh, for a lot of different reasons. And what April lacks in a ton of things to discuss in like music news and new things being released. Uh, there are a lot of other things going on in the counterculture movement that are like adjacent to the music world that will have an impact uh, on the musical world that go down in April. So this is so going to be a fully, different type of episode. Yeah, we're fully branching into social history now. A, just a little bit, um, just enough to like cover the countercultury stuff mm-hmm. uh, and the things that were like you know strongly linked with all with the whole hippie movement and all these people and all these musicians that are that are pretty much attached to these um social issues and things like that as well. Okay. So with that being said, I will start the month on a on a new album uh that was released on the 1st and Pat, I'm going to ask you a question. I'd like you to give a fully honest answer. Okay. If I was to say to you, who is Cliff Richard? Cliff Richard? Cliff Richard. Uh that name is not entirely unfamiliar, but I don't know if it's the combination of them or if I just know someone named Cliff and someone named Richard. It could be. So it I'm going to say I know nothing. Okay. So he also had a band. Now, not his whole entire career it was, was Cliff Richard in the shadows, but part of it was. Okay. So you might have heard of him from, from there. Possibly. Now, now, what if I told you that he's allegedly sold 250 million records worldwide and is one of the highest selling artists in history? What? Uh, <laughs> that would probably come as a surprise, right? Yeah, that would come as a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, so I've never he... heard of this human. Right. So Cliff Richard, um, I was I was thinking he's he's got to be the highest selling artist of all time that most people would not recognize by name. Um, yeah, but he did release uh, a record called "Don't Stop Me Now" in April uh, of 1967, which is all covers. As as I look, kind of look through his discography, a lot of his albums are covers. Well, okay, uh, where we're, he sings other people's music. We're getting but, to understand uh, a little more about it now. Sure, uh, but the this record had a lot of Beatles and Buddy Holly songs and things like that. It was good music that he was choosing to cover. Um, 
but also he started out in the late 50s um, and he was like one of the original guys getting into rock and roll on the UK scene. So people like John Lennon kind of consider him to have made the first British rock and roll records. Um, so he was actually really important to the movement over there. He just never catches on in the States. Okay. So go figure. Yeah, he's never certified in the United States. Um, but from the 50s until the present, he was like a really big deal um, in the UK. And I think there's also some controversy around like his very like mainstream Christianity and like how he's supposed to be this countercultural brought rock and roll to the UK but actually he's just like kind of just some normal guy who's like a little bit maybe more conservative and uh like faith-based in his view of the world and so radio stations like wouldn't play his music anymore because I don't know they were the, the image yeah it's a whole interesting story and I'm sure we'll get like much deeper into that someday when we do Cliff Richard on the full show but I wanted to like at least you know, look under the iceberg a little bit for that one because I was like, I vaguely sort of know what this name is. And then I saw 250 million records. And I was like, okay, this is this is a thing. And yeah. with that being said, <laughs> I will move on to the sixth. Uh, now I will give you another name, although I'm sure that you will not know it this time. Uh, Bill Baird. Does that mean anything to you? No, it does not. Okay, so... Uh, he is considered by some, I mean, uh, one of the nicknames that he's acquired as the uh, father of birth control rights uh, in the United States. So on April 6th of 1967, he was speaking uh, to a crowd of 2,500 people at Boston University. Uh, and he had just kind of announced that he was going to challenge the state's birth control laws. And I mean, if there's one of these social issues of the time that's like really, really linked, I, I would say with the musical culture, it's probably this issue of birth control and it being widely available for people to use. Yeah. Um, so he gets arrested um, in front of that crowd, 2,500 people. Uh, and the reason given was because he handed a can of spermicidal foam and a condom to a 19-year-old student at the, at the university. Uh, and he was charged with providing contraceptives to a minor, distributing medicines without a pharmacist or medical license, and illegally exhibiting an obscene object. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's funny because I read that and maybe it's just because we weren't alive at the time. But I'm like, okay, if this happened in Mississippi, I'd be like, yeah, that probably happened in Mississippi <laughs> in 1967. But it's in Boston. Yeah. And I would have thought, at a university. But, wow. um, but it's... You know, the world was even further behind then than it is now. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and it, the there's actually good news about that arrest um, because Baird fights his conviction, right? Because obviously the, the charges kind of are ridiculous, right? Uh, and that case that he brings against the government fighting his <coughs> conviction eventually goes to the Supreme Court. And there's a case called Eisenstadt versus Baird. Uh, this happens in 1972, so it takes like five years to get through all the processes. Yeah. Uh, but that Supreme Court case is what gave the uh, the right of unmarried people to possess birth control in the United States. That was what solidified it. That was like essentially the Roe decision of the birth control movement. Um, Go Baird. Yeah, right? Uh, so definitely some interesting stuff that happened here. Uh, and we'll push it on. We're going to cross over the pond. Okay. Uh, for now, April you did 8th. skip over April second, which was 
the preemptive anniversary to our album coming out. You're right. That's true. It that should be marked the... in history repeatedly. I agree. Just and, uh, so we're clear. Now it has been. Now yeah. <laughs> I think you've pretty much solidified it now that our podcast is off to the uh, Library of Congress, I have no doubt. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but on the 8th uh, is the 12th annual Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, and yeah. I know... In the United States, that's not really a big deal because we're oh, not involved. I know all about, about Eurovision, it. but it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, like it's a pretty huge deal in Europe. Um, you know, all the different countries kind of submit the songs that they have uh, and compete against each other to see which one can come up with the best hit of the of that year. Um, and this particular one uh, contest was the last one to be transmitted in black and white. So it was 1968 when they started uh, wow. coming in in color, and it was also the uh, first year in which they changed the rules for the judges. So half of the judges from each competing nation had to be under 30 uh, starting this year, which uh, is kind of cool. You know, yeah. like you have to get a, a variety of opinion from people of different generations. I think that should happen more often in yeah, all facets of life. Right? It's like, not that just, bad of an idea. Just let young people talk at times. A little bit. Just let them, let them have opinions, please. Don't have to listen to them. <laughs> Well, if there are judges, you do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and the judges were uh, pretty, I, I, I mean, it's it wasn't unanimous, but it was about as close as these competitions come to being, um, you know, it was a blowout. The UK won this year with Sandy Shaw singing Puppet on a String. Okay. Um, and it was one of, the, like I said, one of the biggest winners in the history of the competition. It uh, more than doubled the score of the second place country song. Uh, and it scored more than the bottom 11 contestants combined. And there were 17 Ooh. entries into the competition. Oh, my God. So <laughs> it, was, it was pretty much a rout. Well, go and, go UK. Yeah, they, they won big. Proud of them. And now we move on to April 10th. Uh, and I just thought it was another um, worthwhile cultural touchstone because, I mean, along with things like birth control, if you're talking about issues that were dividing America in the 1960s and that most musicians and members of the counterculture movement had pretty strong opinions on, I would say that they were race-related issues. Sure. Uh, and on the 10th, the oral <coughs> arguments in the Supreme Court case Loving versus Virginia officially started, Ooh. which is, of course, the case which the court does a good job and rules correctly on. Uh, because they make it clear that states cannot make their own laws banning interracial marriage, uh, as Virginia was trying to do. You can't. Oh, you can't just yeah. do that. You can't just decide that you can you can ban uh, certain races of people from doing things uh, just because you're Virginia and that's what you want to do. Not not a great look. Not a great look for Virginia in 1967. No. Glad the courts made the right decision. Yikes. Yes. <laughs> Right, and so far, Supreme Court two for two. Yeah, uh, on things that we've discussed. Well, uh, and they're, you know what, Pat? They are gonna be three for three. Oh, we're, man. we're really proud of them at this time, because on April fifteenth, now if there's one gigantic cultural issue that I have not mentioned from the nineteen sixties in America and the counterculture, what would you say that it is? If besides race and like reproductive rights, I I think it's unlimited parking lots. Like you're not, so not having to pay for close. parking. And you're, in a sense, correct, because it's the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> I think I close. I mean, same thing. 
they are essentially the same thing. Uh, and on the 15th, 20 U.S. servicemen marched behind a ban- banner reading Vietnam Veterans Against the War, uh, leading a protest of about 100,000 people uh, in New York, uh, an anti-war protest, right? And this is like seen as one of the first times where veterans are very publicly coming out against the war in which they fought. Yeah. Which is an important part of the movement. Um, I, I and during this, agree more. Yeah. And it's during that protest uh, that a, a reporter with the Associated Press uh, got a picture of protesters burning the American flag. That picture goes into wide circulation. And it, of course, leads to the first uh, attempt by, Cong- excuse me, by Congress to create a federal ban on flag burning, which is, of okay. course, shot down by the Supreme Court, as it has been several <clears throat> times, um, because it is unconstitutional, yeah. as has been ruled by the Supreme Court multiple times. Um, so there we go. No jub- double jeopardy for that. Exactly. And then wrapping up uh, our month of like kind of crazy um, cultural issues, on the 23rd of April, uh, very sadly, a 39-year-old convict who was serving a 20-year sentence for armed robbery breaks out of the Missouri State Penitentiary. Uh, and 49 weeks later, James Earl Ray would go on to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Yeah. I, all other conspiracies and allegations around, you know, who actually killed Martin Luther King Jr. Um, or whether or not James Earl Ray was working with or for some other group. Leaving that aside, um, it was, in fact, his escape from prison in April of 1967 that set that up. Well... Way to way to end the so, cultural stuff on a real yeah. Downer. I mean, we had three wins in a row and then an enormous loss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the music front, before we wrap uh, up the month on April 29th, one of our favorite groups from the podcast, the Turtles, released their album "Happy Together." Hey. Yeah. Imagine and I would say, me and you. I know. I do. Wow. Um, you said I know first, though. You didn't. I know. I know, really I needed know. you to, to be right on the ball with that. So, yeah, you did. I'm sorry. Cut, Just cut that out. Yeah, I'm going to cut the whole... We're going to okay. start from the beginning again. Okay, that that's fine. I haven't been working hard here or anything. <laughs> uh, but see Season 1, Episode 23. See how much we adore yes. the Turtles and all their albums. Uh, one of the most underrated groups of the era, I would say, and maybe all of rock history. I mean, still arguably the most original concept album we've done on the podcast i know i listen to that record all the time i love i love it so much at least at least uh the the concept album that was the most original that also worked it the best with its concept sure we may have had some other concept albums that have been like really out there original ideas but maybe don't play as strongly but turtle presents battle of the bands was amazing and they nailed yeah they nailed every style on that record now, a couple of other albums. I'll just throw out a couple of albums and a couple of singles that also came out in April of this year. We got Electric Comic Book by the Blue Magoos and Tim Harden 2 by Tim Harden. Light My Fire and the Crystal Ship by The Doors both come out. Okay. Uh, and Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valli. There he is. All in this month, yeah. No, and, and you know, it's... Be true. I am? You uh, are. You're too good to be <laughs> thank true. You. And I'll tell you what's so frustrating is like I rewrite the albums from when I'm doing the series like seven different times because trying to find two corroborating sources on the date in which an album in the 1960s came out is nearly impossible. I'll look at like four different websites 
and I'll see three different dates. Yeah. And it'll be in different... It's like, it, no, it was April 15th of two, 1967. No, it was actually May 1st of 1960. No, it was February. It's like... It's almost impossible to find it's, like sources where all the stories line up, and I never know which one's true, so I leave out like a lot of albums each month because sure. I'm not sure. It is firmly planted in my brain as one of the things like people always talk about like you know i don't want my kids to ever know the struggle Mm. right i think that is one of the things that like we legitimately don't know the struggle like sure the like people you know rage and, and and have all this you know poor thoughts against like the internet culture and the connected culture mm-hmm. and things like that but the fact that like it's much harder to just not know something it's sure. much harder yeah. like you have infinite knowledge at your fingertips you know sure. what i mean to the point where like that like in the 60s like nobody knows when right. that stuff happened yeah. like whatever it they're close ah, it's the first time i saw it's it in the store it came out today like yeah right that's what i mean so like the the whole the whole world now is mm. constantly communicating and constantly knowledgeable you know what it reminds me of? i told you about this like the whole current thing with the ukraine going on and how right. like russian citizens found out about it i told you about this right uh maybe but so russian citizens didn't know about everything going on between it, russia right, and ukraine yeah. they found out through tiktok russian uh, okay. tiktokers were okay. having comments put on their stuff like letting them know what ru- was going I on see, between yeah. russia and the okay. uk and i was like that's crazy like can you imagine like those citizens would have no idea 20 yeah. years ago maybe. i mean 25 years right. ago yeah there would have been no other alternatives in the 90s whatever the press no, was there that was no social media was you know being controlled by the government anyway just yeah, wild to think about stuff like that you're right you're right well let me wrap things up with birthdays then. Yeah, then birthdays. We'll be done with April. So, uh, on April 2nd, Greg Camp, guitarist and songwriter for Smash Mouth, was born. Wow, on the anniversary of our album. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm sure that's what he was thinking when he decided to come that out. Was that was his day. first thought in the world, yes. I would imagine. Uh, we've got on the 15th, Frankie, and I hope I don't say this wrong, Poulain. Uh, it could be very wrong. He was the bassist for the band The Darkness, though. Okay. And he was born on the 15th. On the 17th, we had Liz Fair. Okay. Uh, uh, the 20th brought us Mike Portnoy, drummer of Dream Theater. Oh. And we have one more drummer on the 25th, Patty Shamel or Shemel, uh, the drummer for Hole. I don't know how to pronounce her name correctly, and I'm so sorry. You did the best you could. I did. I really did. Uh, and Pat, I'm going to tell you, that pretty much wraps up April. Okay, so yeah, I mean, not a ton of music stuff, but a ton of not a ton. historical stuff that revolved exactly. around the music culture in a way. That is correct. Yeah. I know that next month we will have much more in the way of like pure musical stuff. But, you know, on a pretty scant month, I wanted to make sure I got in some other important things that were kind of shaping the culture at the time. Because sure. to get a full understanding of, of the music and... Uh, of why so many social movements are revolving around it, I think you have to know a little bit about what's actually going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I uh, I completely agree. I mean, '67, the late '60s, obviously well known for social reforms or, or attempts at reforms, mm-hmm. right? So, and music, they're known well, for music too. They are definitely known for music. So, a, a great mixture of the two we've got. 
All right. Well, I think I mean Nick. That wraps us up. Then you've you've Aprilled us. I have nothing else to say. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to the year in review, April. Uh, if you are enjoying our year in review series, uh, please let us know. You know, Nick is working working his little tail off on getting this out. That's right. And doing all the research. You know, we think we thought it would be really interesting to kind of really take a deeper look at a year and. You know, combine the historical elements with the musical elements and, you know, let the music nerd free. Let the music nerd in you roam. Exactly. And um, if that's something you're into, it's definitely something we'd like to continue or even expand on. You mm-hmm. know, I'm sure there's plenty more we could talk about other than just year by year. Definitely. You know, music history is a vast and rich subject. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, just let us know. Uh Make sure that you're liking and, you know, reviewing the podcast. Uh, you can like it on Apple Music, subscribe to it wherever you're able to do that. Um, I know Spotify does stuff like that. You can go right to our Anchor page and, you know, do all that stuff there. And uh, we really appreciate all that stuff. You know, we right. we thrive on it, honestly. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, if you're enjoying this, please also check out the original Totem Talk series. We're deep diving through all the musics in the world to find the greatest act of all time. And while you're doing that, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>